let's talk about Deathwish. Yeah, just um, explain the movie to me, Andrew. Yeah. So Death Wish is a 1974 kind of vigilante action film uh, directed by Michael Winner, mm-hmm. Charles Bronson. Uh, yeah, Charles Bronson, of course, um, was in some Westerns. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen him in any of his earlier films, like any of his Westerns. I haven't. I don't think so. He's in one Sergio Leone movie. I forget the title so yeah he's a he uh he's an interesting leading guy <laughs> he is uh he's got a he's got a, kind of an interesting face he's kind of old in the movie which is yeah. interesting but um yeah like I said directed by Michael Winner Michael Winner uh is an interesting guy British filmmaker I believe um from the Wikipedia article so it might not be 100% <laughs> correct but it looks like they wanted to get Sidney uh, Lamette to uh, direct it at first. And it was going to have Jack Lemmon and Henry Fonda. Wow. What a movie that would have been. Yeah, I don't know. Um, well, it's also, yeah. So, yeah. He, it says here that Lamette decided not to do it so he could direct Serpico. Which is huh. also like a, you know, a grizzly. I haven't seen it, but I believe it's, you know, kind of another grizzly right. New York movie. So, yeah. And uh, it's actually based off a novel um, directed by, uh, written by a guy named Brian Garfield. And it says here, and I'm not sure, I haven't read the novel, but it says here that, uh, and we'll dive into more of this as we go along, but that the um, novel uh, was a little uh, criticized, vigilantism a little bit more mm-hmm. <laughs> than uh, this movie does, uh, which this movie doesn't criticize it at all. In fact, it kind of embraces it, but we'll talk yeah. about that later. But basically like, sum it up charles bonson plays a new york city architect he has a loving wife you know they go to hawaii for vacation you know they have a good life and then while he's at work his uh, wife is murdered and his daughter is sexually assaulted um at their apartment um sexually assaulted by uh jeff goldblum <laughs> that's uh, his first role first role his first film role by jeff goldblum which is really weird uh yeah he's in it and uh, and basically from there, like, you know, uh, Charles Bronson's character, um, I guess I'm trying to see what the name is, Paul Kersey, you know, he's kind of, um, he's a little upset. He's definitely upset, but I guess, you know, we'll talk about, he kind of, I guess you could say, uh, before we get into like the full movie, mm-hmm. how it progresses, he essentially decides to kind of take matters in his own hands in a way. So that's like as uh, simple as I can state. Yeah. No, I, I think that's um that's a good way to kind of sum it up. And I, uh, I'm gonna, uh, I like to read those like IMDb trivia facts. You know what I'm talking about. And um, apparently, when the author saw the film, he called it bullshit and said it was the worst thing he had ever seen. He hates the film. And actually, they actually made, uh, he I think he I don't know if he directed, but like he had like a big hand in making another film. And he actually wrote a second book about like the same character because he was so pissed off by this version of the film mm-hmm. yeah i mean it was a huge success i mean you know, it says here on wikipedia 3.7 million budget and then it looks like it made you know between 20 to 22 million dollars pretty yeah. good I mean, you and know they, stuff especially 1974 dollars right and they ended up making like four more of these right yeah, I believe so. Uh, it's interesting because the second movie wasn't made until eight years later. It's kind of uh-huh. like a Texas Chainsaw thing where the sequel right. didn't come until later. Um, but the third movie is particularly interesting. And once again, this will come in with our discussion when we go through the movie. But the third movie, I guess, is even more reactionary. Like it's almost even more over the top in, it, in its kind of... Um, uh, 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 a view of vigilantism and um, just straight up killing people, uh, uh, which I which I've heard that movie is even more entertaining than the first movie, the third yeah. movie. Um, and actually, Michael Winner did direct the first three, and then the two others were you know whatever. So, so maybe we we'll want to watch the third movie, and because I don't think the second movie matters. I think it's just whatever. <laughs> and maybe we want to <laughs> for a future episode. 
uh, talk about <laughs> Death Wish 3, you know, it sounds pretty good, but. So the movie opens, we're in Hawaii, and if I'm going to be honest, like the beginning feels a little slapped together. Like it's it like, doesn't, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> a little. Like, I don't know, it doesn't really fit the rest of the, and I get like why, because like, he gets the pictures later and like, you know, it's like this big moment, but I don't know. It just like, it's such a different tone than the rest of the film. And I don't think it really like, and I think this is one of the problems I had is I don't know if I ever really, or I, I at least see like the re- much of the relationship between the husband and the wife. Cause like, that's like his whole like, reason becoming a vigilante. And like, I get that the beginning's supposed to do that, but I don't really see that in the opening scene. It just feels like a like a combination of like little, little short scenes that I don't, I don't know. I don't really see how it adds anything. I have uh, different thoughts about his reason, but we'll go into that later. Well, just go into it now. Yeah. Well, his reason for like doing everything. Oh, for being a vigilante? Yes. Well, wait, why do you think he's a vigilante? Well, his uh, reasons why he decided to be a vigilante or like what led to it. Oh, I see. Okay. But that comes, we'll, we'll, like I said, I'll, I'll put, I'll put that as we go along. (laughs) You'll just foreshadow it. Yeah, I'm foreshadowing it. All right. So, so then they get back to New York and there's like that big, like opening shot of like them in the taxi, which I actually think is like a really interesting, and I, I kind of wish the movie would have started there because it definitely like fits the tone of the rest of the film. And I don't know. I think like the score at some times like it really hits and then at other times yeah the score. you yeah. know what I mean like it just kind of feels yeah. cheesy at times yeah no the, so yeah I was surprised I was like oh Herbie Hancock and like the score itself is like good like it's a good score mm-hmm. but especially like I would say maybe in the last act of the movie when the score kicks in it's like okay this isn't very appropriate it doesn't really fit what's going on at all yeah so it's good but sometimes it doesn't fit yeah it feels a little like heavy-handed like the score is just like it's almost always there which is just like it's a little much I would have refer- preferred like it to be a little more quiet of a film yeah I think that maybe was just kind of like the style of like exploitation movies too at the time mm-hmm. like action movies exploitation movies you kind of have like a funky soundtrack and stuff yeah so it's almost like maybe like kind of like they felt like they had to put it in there or something like that but yeah I don't think it's like the best thing I've ever you know that doesn't fit entirely well yeah. so okay so so then they get back to their house and like she puts the the hawaiian thing and then he goes he goes to work the next day right because he's like a he's, he's like an a architect, architect I he was an architect I, I thought maybe he was like a city planner or something like that but i believe he is an architect and yeah he goes there and he has like that really funny conversation with his like coworker or boss where yeah. uh, charles bronson uh a bleeding heart liberal remember he because he uh he has a he like cares about poor people or something like that or he he's just he just feels bad about them or something and he's like ah oh, charles bronson does that you know you're you're uh you're you're too nice or whatever and yeah. yeah i don't know i i feel like hollywood does this a lot and maybe this was more true in the 70s than it is today but like throughout like especially like the beginning of the film they paint charles bronson as supposedly like this big like hard like leftist liberal kind of socialist whatever but he's not really that at all I mean he just like has like the lowest level of caring about like poor people should exist like that's like the level he's at well I guess like the thing about it is that like the idea is that like you know he he has like a rosy the idea in the the universe of the movie Mm -hmm. Charles Bronson's character has like I guess like a rosy view of the world you know what I mean he has a you know a bleeding heart view of the world you know people are you know down the dumps but the movie translates the message that that outlook will get you murdered that outlook will get you and your family uh killed you know what i mean it's a very reactionary kind of yeah uh, sort of conservative outlook of the world as if looking like um you know one you know new york city 1970s it's a fucking you know it's a uh, new york city in the 1970s it's horrible it's awful and if you're not armed, you know, you might as well just be dead. So that's kind of, I think, like, they're trying to kind of say, like, you know. Yeah, it definitely feels like a universe kind of outside. And I don't think, like, that's a bad thing or, or like, a good thing or a bad thing. I think it definitely feels like its own particular universe. And, like, like it doesn't, like, feel like it exists in our world, which isn't, like, 
but and I feel like it, it develops that well, right? It, it's its kind of own little world where just like these absurd things take place. Well, and kind of talking. Well, I guess um, kind of bouncing off what you said. So yeah, they uh, they go to so you know Charles Bronson he goes to work, and then you know it quickly goes into the scene where his uh, wife and his daughter are assaulted. Mm-hmm. So the grocery store, they go to their really nice apartment. And these uh, gang of crooks, uh, they find her address. And for some reason, they decide to follow her. I guess they think they're rich or have money or something. So they're like, let's follow them. Yeah. And they follow her. They pretend to be like a delivery boy. And they bust in. They beat them both up. They sexually assault the daughter. And then they kick the mom in the head. And it's a very it's a very brutal scene. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, not you know, nice to see. It happens very quickly, which is nice. <laughs> it goes back very quickly. <laughs> yeah. as, as, like, I guess a situation like that would occur. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, they, uh, yeah, the mom dies, and the daughter is, you know, she was assaulted, and uh, it's uh, pretty bad. But, you know, the, this gang, the, the gang of thieves, the gang of, they're all, like, kind of the same. Yep. <laughs> you know, I guess Michael Winner or whoever the, the screenwriters uh, mm-hmm. um i think they view uh, uh you know they view people who do commit crime like petty crimes like robbing somebody or something like that yeah. they view that as as like something that a person has to do to like survive like an environment like new york city because they don't have a job and they need to mm-hmm. help their family but as like people are just kind of like fucking around and they're evil and horrible <laughs> and they're like they're all like young men who yeah. are crazy probably on drugs and they're dressed like very funny and they're hippies or whatever and they they do it for fun you know not because they necessarily have to but because like they like they like to kill people and they like to you know so and they're all all the all the crooks in the movie are like that every single one of them yeah there's not a lot of uh nuance to the the criminals they're definitely just yeah (laughs) which is just like it's such a dark way to see the world where just like people are just pure evil and like they just do it because they're just awful people. Yeah. But I kind of like that. I kind of like that. That is like, I don't agree with that at all, but I kind of like right. that at that viewpoint. It uh-huh. has been made into a movie. I find that very entertaining. Yeah. It, it kind of has. Um, and I thought this, especially with kind of the scene, um, the sexual assault scene, it has some like sort of clockwork orange vibes to it. Dude, I, I put it, I, I thought that room was very clockwork orangey. Right? I wrote I wrote that note down. Yeah, clockwork orange, like apartment. For some reason, that apartment looked very like, yeah, the whole, yeah, and like, yeah, the same thing too. Like the apartment, the way that it looked in, yeah, because people were also assaulted in the apartment mm-hmm. in clockwork orange. Yeah, so it's kind of weird that you had the same thought. I did too, very 70s. That's actually one thing I also liked about that movie. Michael Winter, for some reason, is interested in like wide shots of rooms. Yeah. So like, there's a lot of like really good like um, 70s like rooms and apartments and stuff that are kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of like I think this is like one of like the biggest things I struggled with with the film is like specifically. Well, it it's partly has to do with the assault scene and partly because like this film is a very masculine film, right? It's a very man like it's very like very testosterone heavy, and you only have two female characters, one of them's killed almost immediately. And the other one, they might as well have killed because they just turn her into a vegetable. Um, I don't know. I always kind of have problems with like films that, I don't know. I mean, I think portraying, and I'm not saying like films shouldn't portray assault scenes. I just think it's like a very delicate line to do. And I, I don't know. I don't know if in the film, like it's like granted enough to like because again, I kind of go back to like Clockwork Orange and like I, I kind of like compare the two in the sense that like when you see those kind of similar scenes, um, even though like the Clockwork Orange, I think in some ways feels more brutal, I guess it feels like you don't actually see as much as you do in this film, right? I mean, they just kind of lay it bare, which I know is like kind of the point. And then maybe it's just like, it, it's hard to watch. And I guess that's sort of the point of it, but it's also like, I don't know, like as a, like the morals of like a filmmaker, like a, I just feel weird about it, I guess, you know? Cause like putting people, cause right, these are actors, putting them in these situations is a very kind of delicate situation. And I just, I don't know. 
Like, it's not that's wrong or right. I just feel weird about it, I guess. Yeah, I see what you mean. I guess, um, I don't know. I've seen worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, that's how a lot of, like, 70s movies are. Like, they're just, like, more pronounced and, like, yeah, and, and they're filming of um, how people are assaulted. You know what I mean? And, you yeah. know, you know, they're also, of course, they're willing to show more nudity. Mm-hmm show more insane you know violence and stuff like that and but yeah I know what you mean it, it's kind of um of course you know it's you know you know the 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 you know the violence against the women sort of perpetuates the decisions of the main male character who mm-hmm. wasn't assaulted so you know that's I know what you mean I definitely know what you mean mm-hmm. but I do think that um you, you you said it was a very you know masculine movie mm-hmm. it, it, it's interesting because I guess um um I'm going to continue on and say kind of what happens afterwards. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they're, like you said, wife dies, daughter um, is essentially, yeah, like you said, a vegetable. And Charles Bronson is basically beside himself. He's like, well, I don't know what to do. You know, he's, uh, I guess he's upset. Uh, And so his boss is like, look, we have, I guess, like a work or contract or something in Arizona, Mm -hmm. Tucson, Arizona. Why don't you go there for a little bit and kind of take your mind off the whole thing? And Charles Bronson is like, okay. And he goes there and he meets this guy. He meets a cowboy guy. I I need to see what his name was because it was like a very specific name. It was like very weird. Sam Kreutzer? Sounds right. Yeah, but you know, he's, like a, he's like a, you know, he's got a cowboy hat on. Yeah. And he's there for a brief amount of time. He's not there forever or anything. And, you know, he gets a lot of work done, it seems like. And and um, and then the guy is like, hey, why don't you come to a club sometime? And he's like, no, I'm not really interested in that. Well, it's a gun club. You know, we shoot guns. And he's like, okay. And so basically just him, just the two of them, I guess, go to a gun range. So does that mean, like, if Charles Bronson's character didn't go, it would have just been Sam by himself at that gun club? Maybe they would have sent someone else. It would have been the other guy that they sent. If uh, Charles Bronson didn't want to go. Okay. <laughs> yep. so they go to the gun club. They go to the gun club and um, they shoot a gun. And it's revealed that Charles Bronson's got a nice, he's got Paul Kersey. He's got a great shot. Mm-hmm. Whoa, how did you learn to shoot a gun? I thought you were a New York guy. He's like, well, I was a conscientious objector in the Korean War, I think. Yes, Korea. Um, and he was, I guess, like a, like a, like an ambulance or something like that but he said like his gun his dad was like a a hunter he said right his dad yeah. was a hunter so he has a good so he's not like interested in guns much anymore but he's good at them he's just yeah like i don't know just well trained and knows how to shoot it and is just incredibly good at shooting guns uh <laughs> which uh, i found very funny it was just like right away just you're really good it's like oh, okay i wonder what's gonna happen now um and uh and then i think um i think after that they um i think they i think what i would consider the turning point of the movie mm-hmm. is go see the western movie set where they have these reenactments yes. yeah i think that's the turning point of the movie because i think like like charles bronson is funny because charles bronson himself was in westerns and stuff like that right. so it's kind of funny. he's like watching these westerns mm-hmm. and i think like um the combination of him shooting the gun for the first time in however long and then seeing the western reenactment i think that maybe unlocks something in his brain or something at least psychology or universe of the movie because he looks at it and he like he doesn't react really he just kind of looks at it and he's like i think he's like fascinated or kind of um he he's uh i guess he you know i guess he's like he kind of wants to do something like that because the scene is basically just like a like a like a like a sheriff like killing a bunch of criminals or something like in an old west set and and i think that's like um it kind of goes back to my thought of why he does it i think he become i think he is <clears throat> he's interested in the vigilanteism not necessarily because his like wife and um, daughter were assaulted. Obviously, that's part of it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also because he feels emasculated because he wasn't there to help them. So he feels like, so obviously he's upset that they're both like messed up, like his wife is dead, mm-hmm. but, and his daughter is, you know, messed up. But I think he's more concerned about the fact that like, he doesn't feel like a man anymore. So he feels as if like now he has to kind of become the 
classic Western sheriff. So he's been totally to feel like a man, I guess, again. Um, and we'll talk about that later when he kills his first person, of course. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess, I guess he never really looked at in that like, but that makes a lot of sense. Because also, the, the, another thing that I was confused about is um, he, there's never like any sort of comeuppets for, uh, right, the original kind of crew that assaulted his wife. Like he never kills them. And I, I thought, thought that was weird at the time. But now like looking back, I guess with the sheriff scene and then also in the scene before when they're at the gun club, um, Sam says something about how like the a gun is basically just like a like an extension of your penis, right? That, right. Yeah, that's basically. He does say that. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. They talk about. Yeah. He like he criticizes um that guy too. Um, he criticizes uh, like gun control and stuff like that, <laughs> uh, which of course goes into kind of like the vigilanteism. Yeah. Kind of, I guess uh, idealism and yeah. And I think I think it's also interesting that um, he's a conscientious objector of the Korean War instead of like picking either World War II or Vietnam. Um, I mean, obviously, partly it's just because of his age, but I think also it has to do with the fact that the Korean War is often considered the forgotten war, right? It's not really taught in American history back then or now. And it's kind of just kind of like, we kind of skip over it. And I think that kind of goes into how in sort of like him feeling not only emasculated, but kind of like overlooked, like they're kind of, right? Just how the police kind of ignore him, which... Is what happens next, right? Is that when he goes to the police office, police station, or does he go before he goes to Tucson? I think he goes. Yeah, I think we might have skipped over that. He goes to the cop, and the cop is like, "Okay, like we're looking for them, but honestly, like it's not gonna happen. You know, it's just like there's so many other things that we got to do." Um, and that's another common theme in this movie that I think is kind of interesting is that um, uh, the police are kind of in the universe of the movie, the police are like very useless, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was yeah. probably the thought of a lot of people at the time that <laughs> the police don't do enough. They don't, you know, get out enough and commit murder and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And I think, uh, so now it's like, yeah, people have to, you know, take it upon themselves. <laughs> yeah. But I thought, I, I thought that aspect was kind of funny how the cops are just kind of, um, they, uh, well, we'll talk about it in a second, but yeah about like they're lazy well not lazy they're ineffective but they're pretty effective and they and they're they are hell-bent on finding the guy who is the vigilante that makes them look bad you know what I mean right right that's what their concern is it's not with like all of the it's only with it's very um almost like Kafka-esque and they're like bureaucracy yeah like they're so concerned with like their own bureaucratic world that they don't actually do anything it's true. All right. So, so they get back from Tucson, and, and then what happens? Because I, I genuinely don't remember what happens. Next. He he goes back to Tucson, and he um I think he he brings back a gun. I think his I think he yeah, uh, yeah gave he's him a gifted gun. A gun. Right. Yeah, but he, he keeps it in his office. I think yes. And uh, let me look at my notes here. So I think like uh, more or less he gets home, and I think I think he is uh, he's told by his um. You know, it just kind of like a, you know, his. Uh... Also, I think it's kind of weird that his son-in-law calls him dad. Yes, I was gonna ask about that. What what is up with that? Like the whole time he calls him dad, and it's it's it's, it's weird, right? I don't think it's like I guess like that would happen. You know what I mean? I don't think it's weird. It it, but it makes it confusing. It makes it kind of like it's just kind of like a weird like thing to put in your script. I guess I don't know. <laughs> it was kind of weird to me. And the the whole relationship between the two of them is kind of. A weird relationship don't you think yeah they just seem to be you know close like good friends as if he's his dad you know what i mean as if it is yeah. his father or something but obviously they don't really um you know go into it too much um it's just that they i don't know they just like each other i guess but but he's but you know his son-in-law and now tells him that like look like your daughter is just oh, right. not doing well at all so mm-hmm. i think they had to put her in a home like a nunnery or like an abbey or something yeah so that's like what he finds out when he gets back and he's like what the fuck why didn't you tell me you know um so i think i think the next scene more or less is charles bronson is now going to go on a walk with his gun uh so he goes on a walk and he goes to a park and literally within 10 seconds of him walking around the park uh he is ambushed yeah with the guy with a knife He's like, I'm, I think he asked him if he wants 
his money. And uh, I think it was a knife. Was it a knife or a gun? It was a knife. That's the other thing is like almost all of the um, those scenes are like they have a knife and Charles Bronson has a gun, except for the last one, I think. But all the other ones, they all like, have a knife. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, no. He does have a gun, right? Yeah. Because they find the gun and it's not shot. That's right. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yes. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's, yeah. Right. <laughs> that's why I was kind of confused. I was like, did he have a gun? Did he have a knife? Most of them have knives, like you said. Yes, yeah. Um, and Charles Bronson shoots him and he runs away. And Charles Bronson's reaction is interesting because it's not um, Paul Kersey, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, his reaction is interesting because I think he goes to his apartment. He, like, mm-hmm. runs to his apartment. He, he doesn't. Yeah. And he, like, throws up. He's, like, sick to his stomach. You know what I mean? Um, he he is uh, nauseated mm-hmm. by killing a, another man, uh, which is interesting, you know? Yeah. It's also interesting because, like, that's not, like, he immediately is just, like, over that. And then it's suddenly, like, yeah. off being a vigilante, which I, w- I wanted to um, talk about this. There, if, if, like, you look at it from, like, a modern lens, this is kind of, in many ways, it's basically a superhero movie. It's basically Batman, right? Is it? I mean, I mean it's, it's like, basically a Batman origin story. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, like his, yeah, Batman's parents are mugged and killed and Batman becomes a vigilante. But Batman doesn't really kill people. Yeah, so it's just like a, a more violent Batman. <laughs> but it does have like a lot of those like, tropes of superhero movies. Like it kind of does like the same, yeah, right? right? kind of follows the same pattern. Yeah, I watched I watched uh, Ghost Rider not too long ago, and again, Ghost Rider, you know, it's kind of the same thing. Something bad happens to a family member, mm-hmm. and they have to now take matters in their own hands, and they get like this kind of like renewed, like this new strength that they didn't have or didn't have before, didn't think about before, and now they're, um, you know, taking down bad guys and stuff. And literally in Ghost Rider, he saves people from getting mugged and stuff like that. Right. So that made me think of other you know movies like that you know kind of an origin story so i see what you mean definitely so okay so after the mugging then um the police discover and they're trying to figure out like what's happening immediately immediately they like get the best uh, uh detective that they have uh played by vincent gardenia who's really yeah. good by the way he's good in the movie he's got yeah, like great performance he's like you know just like an italian-american guy um <laughs> He plays uh, the um, the flower shop owner in Little Shop of Horrors. Mm-hmm. He's really good in that movie, uh, but he's really funny and kind of just like this big, you know, Italian, like I said, Italian American detective guy. And uh, he's uh, funny. I wish there was a little bit more of him. Actually, I thought it was good. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so yeah, they immediately get the best like detective or whatever, and they're all on the scene, and they're like, "Huh, it, he didn't. He didn't take the money. He shot and killed him. He didn't take the money though, and the guy never had a chance to shoot back." interesting so immediately they're like interested in this case and um they're uh, on it they're on it so and then from there it just kind of like basically kind of just kind of spirals in the predictive way that you think it would where charles bronson is consistently mugged again and again yeah or he muggings and keeps killing people and as he's killing people police are more and more interested and then the press also continue to spin the narr- the vigilante narrative as well, um, making the police look like fools. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they don't know what they're doing. And because um, I guess, like I guess, also the thing about it too, in the way of the press, like the press doesn't necessarily care too much about a single mugging, but they do care if a mugger was stopped by a vigilante. You know? Yeah. And then there's that um, that scene where. Char- or whatever his name is Charles Bronson's watching the news and you see like the other right vigilantes and you see like you know what something uh, uh um I will say that the black characters in the film um yeah. maybe not the best representation well some well they do they do have um black people as cops in the movie too that's true that's yep. true that's true that's a good they point muggers. I will say the muggers like um they're all they're pretty diverse I and mean, you have white people <laughs> you have black people yeah uh, they're all young though they're all young men you know mm-hmm. they're all young kind of uh dispossessed men who just want to you know uh you know rape and murder and 
yeah, the representation of like, I'm not going to say that the representation of black people in the movie is a, a positive one. It's not, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of, you know. And then there's that, um, I remember this line when Charles Bronson goes to a party. I don't remember why he goes to a party. He goes to some party and there's yeah, it's like, like, it's like a work party or something. Like yeah, that. yeah. It's like a work party. And there's like these two people talking about the vigilante and they're like, well, he's killing a lot more black people than his white people. And they're like, well, black people are more muggers than white people. Which, <laughs> Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. Which is like, which is like kind of like, um, it's kind of like, I like that conversation. I think it's funny because I think both perspectives are kind of like horrible. Uh-huh. <laughs> he's killing uh, more black muggers than white muggers. What the hell? It's like, why is he? But then it's like, but he's killing he's killing people anyway you know what i mean and the, but yeah yeah this person's like well that's because you know it's it's uh it's like both like people are horrible um but i think like i think michael winner uh i think he's more about the the person the um uh, the person who's making the argument that like well black people are statistically muggers more, more often you know mugging people or whatever <laughs> this is the same guy by the way michael winner is interesting he he directed a lot of movies mm-hmm. um He's a he's a conservative uh, party member in the UK, uh, and he said uh, in his Telegraph he died like a couple years ago. But uh, a handful of years ago, he did this interview with the Telegraph that I have right mm-hmm. here, <laughs> and he said, uh, "This is what he said. He said, I grieve for this country, you know, the UK, mm-hmm. so different to how it was in the 40s and 50s. <laughs> if I was prime minister, I would be to the right of Hitler." No immigration, shoot anyone who commits a crime, shoot people who park in the wrong place in front of my garage. I would be ferocious, and believe me, it's needed. So yeah, that kind of like sums up kind of the 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 brain of uh, one Michael Winner. Very, very, uh, very weird guy, indeed. And like I said, like this, uh, it's uh, definitely more, pro- like I said, I've heard it's even more pronounced, this yeah. idea of vigilante being, because then they're like, oh, well, there's less muggings now that there's a vigilante or whatever, you know. Yeah. I don't know if that would happen in real life. Probably not. Yeah. Okay, so he does a bunch of... I'll actually, I want to take a minute to talk about the, yeah. like, the robbing scenes because it's, it's like, one of those things where I think, like, there's a lot of potential in those scenes. And I don't know if it's just because it's, like, Charles Bronson and he's old or if it, this was, like, you know, because of the script or for whatever reason, but I found pretty much all of the mugging scenes to be pretty lame and underwhelming. I mean, it's basically just like guy has knife, he shoots them, scene over. Like there's, <laughs> yeah, I think Michael Winner is uninterested in giving any background or characterization to any of the muggers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. So like, yeah, muggings just, they happen. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, in New York City, you're just going to get mugged randomly for no reason. You know, just wherever you are, no matter what you're doing, who you are, you're going to get mugged. Yeah. Um, the subway scene, you mentioned superhero movies, the subway scene where the people are like walking across the subway and they get to Charles Bronson and they both get shot on the subway. Yeah. This scene kind of reminds me of like Joker where he's on the subway kills the frat kids. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that, that, uh, that, that, that's probably my favorite one too. Because that one has like a lot of lot more tension. I think it's built up a little bit more. Um, I guess the one where he's in the diner and he gets chased by those two guys. Which, by the way, those two guys didn't look like they, those guys look like just like normal guys. Like they didn't look like like in the universe of the movie. Right. They didn't look like. But they like got up from their chairs and they're like, okay, let's go, let's go. You know what I mean? So, kind of weird. Yeah. All right. So, so the muggings are happening. The police are keep like trying to figure it out and then like another thing about like the main detective is like he's just like the best detective did you notice like basically like build off of nothing he's like figured out exactly who this guy is which is just i mean it's kind of (laughs) awesome yeah and it's actually like yeah like it's actually like uh and uh yeah it's actually kind of like that like i said it's fun to watch that guy is like really good and the character is kind of neat and yeah it was like that's that was a good uh part of the movie um uh, just to see the detective work, I thought it was pretty good. Usually, the stuff in that movie, usually in, uh, I feel like in movies like that, usually that part would be like the boring part. Mm-hmm. It wasn't too bored. I thought it was fine. Yeah. So, should we jump to like the conversation between the detective and like the DA? Yeah, I think more or less, right? Like, 
we pretty much explained it that like you know it's pretty much just like a pattern from there like mm-hmm. mugs the police are involved they're embarrassed they don't know who it is but the detective gets is inching closer and closer to him mm-hmm. uh, paul so yeah so so the detective goes to the da and they have this conversation basically where the da is like we don't want you to stop him because oh they don't want him to be arrested because if they arrest him then he'll be a martyr or kill him they don't want to arrest or kill him and they don't wait why i forget oh yeah yeah because the same reason they don't want him to be a martyr they want him to leave town they want him to stop being a vigilante but the detectives like which is when we realize that that's like the first time we like know for sure that the um what the like mugging numbers have gone down by like 50 percent because of this something like that one and guy <laughs> well why that again what's that why didn't they like it then uh that the mugging levels were, were down because it made the police I was trying to remember okay yeah yeah that's what i thought yeah and once again yeah it goes back to just them looking bad and the detectives like that's like the first time where the detectives like oh well i don't know maybe this vigilante guy he's he's on the right track and and we should and he's like kind of like right he's like kind of against him he's like maybe we shouldn't do that mm-hmm. but i guess he like lists or like listens to orders and that's when um that's this is a point. conversation he's having with the district attorney yes and by and this like, point this, the detective knows who it is doesn't he or is he he's pretty close i don't think he knows who it is yet i think he's getting very close though if i remember correctly yeah so they have this conversation um he figures out like like using like his special detective skills he figures out that like he has to live within like a certain area of this place and yep. they've like narrowed it down to like 14 people and that's when he meets or like they follow um charles bronson and the detective like breaks into his house which is like yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's disturbing <laughs> yeah i mean like i guess that happens at least that did happen i mean yeah. like cops do it all the time you know they break down doors and stuff and uh but uh yeah they just like they're just like whatever we'll just, just walk in um, and I don't think they find anything too. I don't think they. Well, no, I think they, they find, find the blood that. from uh, his like from the cut that he got from one of the muggings, and that's when and they I think like um. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, you you go. That's when, when they find the blood. That's when they take it back to the um, the office and they test it against some other blood that they already have, and that's when they realize that it's him. I got you. Yeah. Right. Yep. And so they know for sure, and then um. <laughs> So then, yeah, he like, there's like a D. So yeah, like you said, the DA is basically just like, get rid of him. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then from there, it's kind of like a cat and mouse kind of game. Um, they kind of like go back and forth. And, um, you know, at one point they stop and frisk him. Yeah. They like, uh, they're like, stop. And they frisk him, which is kind of shocking to me, you know, watching that because <laughs> that happened in New York City. It's like, oh yeah, that does, they actually do, they actually did that to people. Hmm. Pretty recently. <laughs> recently, yeah, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, that's kind of messed up. Um, What's interesting about that scene, right? Because right before that, the detective calls up, um, whatever, whatever the protagonist, whatever his name is, yeah, uh, Charles Bronson. <laughs> yeah, he calls him and says, "Like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah." He says, "Like, um, we're watching you," mm-hmm. which I- I'm still trying to like piece together. Is like, is he because right? Because that's the only reason they don't find the gun on him because he like puts the gun away so like is he warning charles bronson that like these things are going down and he doesn't want him to get caught or like is he still at this point trying to catch him i think maybe it's like a psychological thing mm-hmm. maybe he's trying to scare um i like to think that maybe the detective is just trying to follow orders like you said but he kind of like maybe respects him in a weird way mm-hmm. but i think like him calling being like hey we're following and watching you better watch out is maybe either trying to scare him to get him to stop or if it's not getting him to stop, then maybe it'll f- mess with him enough where he might slip up and he'll get caught or something like that. Yeah. So he, he gets frisked that- and then um, they like continue to follow him. And eventually he, right, he goes, he kind of slips out because of like there's some sort of party going on and he kind of slips by with those people. And he goes, yeah, the, the, he goes the, to the, the office, he grabs the gun. Um, and the detective has figured this out by this point and is like following him and is like behind him. And that's when um, Charles Bronson goes out and he goes to that park, right? Where he gets mugged by those three people. Yeah, they only had access to the one park. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even though there's probably like one other 
Magic City. <laughs> so he goes back to the park. <clears throat> and then, of course, again, he is mugged on the steps, which I actually think like that um, that stairs scene had some, uh, I don't know, it felt very uh, exorcist-y almost. You know what I mean? Kind of like on the stairs, how it was kind of. That's so weird you said that. Um, uh, Delilah said that. Really? Yeah, she mentioned the exorcist during uh, yeah, with the stairs. You're right. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah just, you guys are both. It was right. like yeah. almost like They're a very, um, um, pronounced. Yeah, it was almost like his like dissension into his final like right because like at this point he could have just like cooled off for a little while like been like maybe I'll take a break from this whole vigilante thing but he's like so obsessed with being this hero yeah that- he loves it yeah yeah so like we said like he he gets sick from the first kill but it's clear that he kind of likes it a lot <laughs> doesn't feel remorse you know what i mean yeah he feels like he's getting like revenge back even though he's not necessarily finding and killing the people who specifically like killed his wife he's more interested in just kind of like feeling like a hero like feeling like an action hero or something like that yeah uh, you know but not that he's like because like I think there are even scenes where he's like reading like magazines that are about him or something yeah. like that. Yep. Like he like he kind of sort of has like a he likes being a hero, but he also likes killing people now. You know, not in a like a, but I think like the guilt is removed because he's killing people who he believes he, are terrible people. Yeah, <laughs> people he deserve people who are des- who deserve to die. Which in the sick universe of the of the movie is you know what how it views those people. So right. Mm-hmm. so um he shoots two of them the third one gets away mm-hmm. um and then there's like i don't know if i'd call it a chase scene he like follows him like mm-hmm. no one really runs um <laughs> and and they're like in a i don't know like near the water they're like at a wharf or something industrial area or something yeah, some like industrial area and um was charles bronson like cut before or like was he shot he was shot in the back yeah he was shot so he's like struggling along and um so like he's like coming down these like big steps and our criminal bad guy is like in the middle and he's trapped between like the police and Charles Bronson. And instead of having what I, what I assumed was going to be like this like final like sort of like fight scene between like Charles Bronson and our criminal, Charles Bronson just faints. And then that's the end of the scene. Yeah. And then, and then the police officers um, and then it cuts to the detective with the police officer who was first on the scene. And he's like, I found this gun. He's like, did you tell anyone yet? And he's like, no, I haven't told anyone. And that's where we see like, oh, what the detective really wants is kind of sort of to protect him in a sort of way. Yeah. I think, I think it's more than like, right, the DA. I think he actually wants to protect him himself because he, like you said, he kind of feels this sort of admiration almost towards this vigilante. Yeah. And like, but and, and the same thing too, you know, he feels admiration, but I also think that the detective probably feels like, also doesn't want to look like a fool too you know what i mean yeah yeah so, do you recognize the cop by the way that said they found the gun uh-uh that was a christopher guest really a christopher guest yeah he's the guy here you know best in show he's yeah, in that yeah, yeah. <laughs> christopher guest like one of his like like a second or third movie or something like that Weird. i think spinal tap didn't come out until like like 10 years yeah after. yeah so it's very young christopher guest it's very funny so then, um, so then basically we just cut to our final scene or second to final scene, which is Charles Bronson in the hospital and the police officer comes and he basically like says, Hey, you need to get out of town. Cause you know, if you don't get out of town, we're gonna, you know, take your gun and you'll be in jail forever, which is kind of, which, which is kind of like a badass move from the detective's perspective. Cause it's, Cause like he's kind of bluffing because he can't really do that. Cause if he does that, right, the police the police department won't arrest him. So it's kind of um, like he could just kind of has to hope that Charles Bronson buys into it, which he does. And that's how we kind of end the film, which is Charles Bronson goes to Chicago, famous for its you know criminal uh, organizations, yeah. and he sees this woman being harassed by another group of criminals. And um, and then there's that final shot where he holds out his hand as if it's a gun, and he kind of like shoots it, which is a fun. I think it's a really fun final shot. Yeah, it's 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 a perfect it's a perfect ending to like a fucking movie like that. <laughs> it's uh it's pretty good. I don't know if you saw, but like um, uh, Eli Roth, who's mm-hmm. not 
a, a favorite director of mine. He uh, did like a um, he did a Death Wish re- remake, in, I think twenty eighteen with Bruce Willis. Um, yes. The Chicago. Yeah, that's actually how I uh, knew about this movie. So I, I heard of the Bruce Willis one. <laughs> so I was like, Bruce? I knew that one. Okay, great. Yeah, I've never <laughs> seen it. I've never seen it either. I've heard it's uh, pretty bad. Yeah. Pretty is not good. Lara Roth, I'm not a fan of, but, um, you know, I'll probably watch that sometime. I feel like see, we'll have to. <laughs> just to see what it's like. But yeah, like the final shot is great. And uh, yeah, he goes to Chicago. And I believe the sequel takes place in LA, though. Really? Yeah. Huh. And from what, yeah. I will say that um, to kind of talk about like the cities, I guess, like, mm-hmm. you know, the movie, of course, takes place in New York City. One of my biggest criticisms is that even though like there are really good, I think, like rooms in the movie, I don't think it has a good sense of place. No, not at uh, all. City. Uh, like uh, I was thinking of Taxi Driver. I thought Taxi Driver was kind of similar to this movie. And Taxi Driver has a great score. And it has a very good sense of place that all really work together to kind of like form mm-hmm. like 1970s New York City. Yeah. In a very interesting way. Um, and I didn't I didn't think Death Wish did that very well with its music or its, you know, cinematography or look or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, we kind of go to the same places, like we go to the subway, it's like the same place that they were in. Like mm-hmm. like uh, we go to the same park. Yeah. You know, the sets are I mean you know, I guess you can't get, like, everything, you know, you can't get the top of the Empire State Building, but, uh, you know, I thought it did fine with what it had. Yeah, yeah. So, so out, of, out of 10, what'd you give this film, Andrew? So, yeah, on Letterboxd, I gave it, like, three stars, I think, which is, like, mm-hmm. translated to, like, a six out of 10, mm-hmm. um, which, to me, like, a six out of 10 is, like, a slightly above average movie. So, like, a five out of 10 is, like, an average movie. It's, like, it's, like, a movie you watched if, like, the first half of it was, amazing like mm-hmm. perfect and the second half was like the worst thing ever like that would be like an average movie you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. you know where half of the movie is not as nowhere near as good as the other half mm-hmm. so, like an above average movie um i'm guessing i'm just going to talk about how i generally felt i thought it was pretty good it was generally entertaining charles bronson is you know he's uh <laughs> He's not the best action hero, but I, he, he is kind of a badass. Like, he is kind of cool. Um, he, he's kind of weird. Uh, he kind of, it seems like he tried to take on, like, kind of the same trajectory as someone like Clint Eastwood, who did westerns, and then yeah. did like, kind of, like, these kind of pulp, like, um, detective sort of movies, mm-hmm. vigilante movies, like Dirty Harry, which I would say I like Dirty Harry just as much as I like Death Wish. Mm-hmm. I think they're both nice fine movies that you know are you know pretty entertaining very competent um you know fine performances for the most part um they're just not i just don't think that they're they're, they're the most exciting movies ever and they all but i will say like if there's one you know death wish is interesting just because it has like a very weird warped worldview which I wouldn't say as a negative, I think it's a positive just because I think it's very interesting to make a movie kind of about that, you know what I mean? And to make an entertaining one too, so. So <laughs> I gave this movie uh, a two out of 10. <sighs> Honestly, you know what? I don't know if I've ever seen Charles Bronson in another movie before, or if I have, it was, I don't remember it. I don't know if it's like, if it was the script or like his performance or just like he was an ill fit for the role, but I just thought like, for whatever reason, I thought that him as the, um, I still can't remember that. Is it Peter? It's, uh, let me see. It's, uh, it's uh, Paul, Paul Kersey. Oh, I, I think his performance as Paul is kind of awful. Like he doesn't really show any sort of emotions. He's basically just like a seventies version of Jason Stathmos. Like he just has like one state of being. I also think he's kind of old for the part, which but I don't I know. Like that though. He's uh, it looks like he was 54. 54. Yeah. I don't know. It just like, he feels, it's almost like, um, you know how like Humphrey Bogart, like he always looks old. Charles Bronson kind of feels like that too. Like he just has like this certain like oldness to him which I mean it's not, like it's not like he can't be like older it's just like I don't know I didn't really enjoy his performance I think like the warped worldview is interesting but maybe it's just like I mean I don't think like films should be like 
non-political or political. I think they can be about whatever they want. But I think if you're going to have this sort of like worldview of the world, which I'm not a huge fan of, which I know you're not either, um, it just doesn't feel like it delivers. It feels a little delusional, if you ask me. And I think that a lot of the characters are uninteresting, especially the female characters. And I think, honestly, I don't think uh, Michael Winner is really that interested in characters at all. I think he's much more interested in just the sort of violence, which is also sort of interesting because I don't think the like action scenes are that interesting. I actually think the action scenes are pretty boring as a whole. I do like that subway scene a lot where he shoots the two, but even then he gets away from the cops really quick. I mean, he literally just walks out of the subway and just leaves. I think there's like a lot of potential there. They're, they're, uh, they're bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, so yeah, I don't know. I feel bad giving a film this low of a score because I think like just the fact that you made a film is a lot. And I think there are some really interesting moments in this film and some really interesting ideas. Um, and there's some like really kind of beautiful shots sort of in the middle, but I, I did not enjoy this film. <laughs> I had a good time. Like I said, I'm not like, a, it's definitely not a favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's just kind of, to me, it's just kind of like a mid sort of like a decent 70s action vigilante movie. Um, but I, I was fine with it. And, you know, I guess if there's anything I disagree with with you is maybe just Charles Bronson in general. I thought he was fine. You know, I think he, uh, I kind of like his oldness. I kind of like how old he looks and how like, you know, it's kind of craggly and stuff. And yeah. he's got kind of like a weird haircut too, very 70s haircut. <laughs> and, you know, he's got the 70s mustache, you know. So I think he is, um, but is he, I guess, the most um, emotional one, a character ever? No, I don't think so. Uh, I think even like I was, I think I was looking at the, um, I was looking at the um, Wikipedia page here, and I think it said something along the lines of like, um, oh yeah, here's a quote Bronson said later about the role. He said, "I was really a miscast person." Bronson said later, "It was more a theme that would have been better for Dustin Hoffman or somebody who could play a weaker kind of man." I told him that at the time. <laughs> so even like Bronson himself, even Bronson himself was just like, "Yeah, I don't think I'm like good for this role. I don't know why you're picking me," but. I thought it turned out okay. Like, I didn't think, like, I think you are, I think you're definitely right. I, I think it could have been maybe a little bit better if it was someone maybe like, like you said, Dustin Hoffman, or even a guy like Robert De Niro, you know, yeah. taxi driver kind of guy. But, you know, it, it's fine. It's just kind of like a, like a, like a mid-tier movie of those types of genre of movies, in my opinion. Mm-hmm.